Good to see everyone here. It has been a long time since we've been here. And um, just turning my phone off. Brother Humphrey, good to see you. God bless you, brother. I'm happy to see you. Look forward to fellowshipping with you. And uh, <clears throat> we've been reporting to churches in the U.S. We just came from a church uh, had never been to before in a place called, uh, <clears throat> I have to think now, I don't know if they pronounce it like a French name, Monet or Monette or something like that. Anyway, the pastor there is Brother Bradshaw, but uh, <clears throat> I wasn't really impressed with that church or anything or the preacher, and I don't know that I'll ever go back there again, but um, anyway, um, you know, he, he gets a few good ones, you get a few bad ones along the way. <laughs> I'm looking forward to meeting you. Actually, we had a great time meeting your, your father. It was a blessing. He really encouraged me. So they told me to tease you, so I figured I'd better be obedient, right? Amen. And then I made a new friend so quickly. I'll have a new buddy while I'm here, Mr. Silas. Nice to meet you, Silas. As soon as I saw him, I was struck in my heart with jealousy. Amen, brother. Yeah. You can probably guess why, right? He didn't know that I knew his name. He walked by and I said, Silas. He thought he was in trouble, right? But anyway... Um, I'm looking forward to uh, showing you the presentation this afternoon because, as uh, Brother Demlo said, it really is a fruit that abounds to your account. And um, there's a verse in Psalm, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. You know, when you boast in the Lord, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. And I, I want to boast in the Lord. And... Um, You'll see why when you see the presentation. Please uh, take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> For those of you who have not met my wife, she's sitting here, Donna. Our 17-year-old daughter, Elena, did not make it on this trip. And uh, she stayed behind to stay with some folks in the church. It's important, for, it's important for her to really feel connected to her local church. And when she grows up in South Africa, she's not with the local church that much. And, you know, if the Lord did something, called, called me home, called Donna home, if we went home together, it would be important that she feels connected to her local church. And so she's there instead of here today. All right, let's read Luke chapter 7, verse number 1. Now, when he had ended all his sayings in the, in the, in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant, who is dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. And when he had heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying, <clears throat> excuse me, that he was worthy for whom he should do this, for he loveth our nation and have built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them 
And when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Let's pray and we'll trust the Lord to bring forth some truth and wisdom for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will honor your word. And Father, this is not any book. It's the only book you've ever authored. It's a powerful book. And the entrance of thy words giveth light that we might see and understand. So Father, open the eyes of our understanding today. And Father, may we have a greater love for the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are saved. And Father, for those who are not, by the Holy Ghost of God, would you bring conviction. And Father, use this book as a two-edged sword that it is. Father, divide the soul and the spirit and make very plain the intentions, the motives, the thoughts of the hearts of these sinners today so they can see who you are and see who they are. A sinner in need of a Savior, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Verse number one. By the way, um, as you read your Bible... I want to encourage you when you read your Bible and, and maybe have a devotion time, whether you do it in the morning, noon, night, whether it's a time of meditation on the Word of God, don't, don't think that you have to read 10, 12 pages before you, you, know, you feel like you've done the spiritual thing. You know, I read my Bible today. <laughs> um, I encourage you just to take and, and meditate and just think on words and phrases and verses and let God speak to you. You know, it's like driving down a highway, a place you've never been to before. If you go so fast and you're, you know, you're just cruising on the highway, you're going to miss things than if you took your time and stopped and looked and considered. And so do that with the Bible. In verse number one, it says, When he, now when he, Jesus, had ended all his sayings, in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. You know, I noticed that, that phrase, when he had ended all his sayings, where? In the audience of the people. You know, when Jesus spoke, he didn't speak in secret. He didn't speak in a corner. He didn't, you know, what Jesus did, he didn't do undercover. What he said, what he said 
could be heard in the ears of people. And you know, that means something to me. There's some applications here. Number one, if what we say, if what we're speaking with our mouth has to be hidden, has to be, shh, you know, then I wonder if I should be saying it. I mean, if I'm saying something that I'm, I'm not sure I want everybody to know that I'm saying it, maybe I shouldn't be saying it. You know, in the Bible, there's a reason why, why, why it's called whispering, whisperers. You know, I want to say this, and I, I want to put, you know, plant this in your ear, but, you know, don't tell anybody, and I, I kind of, shh. You know, that's how problems arise in the Lord's church, amen? It's called gossip. It's called whispering. It's called backbiting. When Jesus spoke, he spoke in the audience of the people. Not only, not only was he not ashamed to say what he said, he wanted everybody to hear what he had to say. Amen? Let's consider that when we're using our tongue. And if we're going to say something about somebody, I wonder, I wonder, would we say the same thing if that person were there? Amen? Let's speak in the audience. We want everybody to hear it. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to um, John. Is it John? John chapter 18. Let's look at what it says here. Jesus spoke what he said in the audience, in the audience of the people. There was nothing secret here. Nothing to be concealed. John chapter 18 and verse number 19, the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. So now the high priest is going to do some interrogation. He's going to put Jesus on the spot and question him. Notice what the Lord said. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I have said. Did you get that? And in secret have I said nothing. Why are you asking me? If you want to know what I said, hey, it's free. It's free. Go, just go ask anybody. I was speaking openly in the temple and in the synagogue. You want to know what I said? Just ask anybody and everybody. I didn't speak anything in secret. I spoke everything publicly. There's nothing to hide with me with what I said, with what my doctrine is or what I teach. Just go ask anybody. Why are you asking me? Would we say that? Could we say that? Well, it's just something for us to consider, amen? You know, the tongue is a world of iniquity. And the Bible says it setteth on fire of hell. You know, we can bless and we can curse with our tongue. 
And James said, writing to believers, Herewith bless we God and even the Father, and here, here we curse men. Sometimes our tongue can have a fork in it. It can be split down the middle, you know, like a, like the, like a serpent's tongue. Just a little caution there. Back in, in Luke chapter 7, verse 1. Now when he had ended all these sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. Now, this centurion was a, a, a man who uh, was ruler over a hundred people. Uh, you can read about Cornelius, who was a centurion, a leader of the Italian band. You know, a centurion was somebody who was employed of the Roman government at this time. It was Caesar who ruled, and the Jews were under subjection to the Roman government. And you know, the Jews didn't really have a liking to the Romans. They wanted their freedom, understandably so. They wanted to be their own people, have their own nation, worship as they as they wanted to, and so on. Um, so the Jews really didn't like the Romans for their um, dominion. But here's a centurion. Um, he had a servant. And the Bible says, who is dear unto him. Now that's an interesting statement. You know, when you have a Roman soldier who's got authority... He, uh, you know, he holds the, bears the sword, and he's got a servant. And yet, the centurion, his servant was very dear unto him. Well, I got thinking about that. Go to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs 17. Verse number two, a wise servant shall have rule over a son that causeth shame and shall have part of the inheritance among the, the brothers, the brethren in that family. So when I, when I read this, that this servant was dear unto the centurion, that speaks highly of the servant. This servant was wise. And the Bible teaches here that if you've got a wise servant, if, if a man had a wise servant, he's going to have rule over a son of his master, especially if his son causeth shame. And that servant is going to have part of the inheritance. In other words, the master is going to say, well, I've got a son. He's caused me some shame. I'm, I'm deleting him from the inheritance. This servant of mine, he's been so faithful. He's been a wise servant. You're going to be like my son. You're going to have part of my inheritance. And then I see on the part of the, the centurion, go to Proverbs 29. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 21. The Bible says, He that delicately bringeth up his servant from a child shall have him become his son at the length. 
Now this speaks of, 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 the, of the master. The other verse spoke of the servant as being wise, and now this is speaking of the master, and if he delicately brings up his servant, at the end of the day, he's going to be like his son. So what do I see from this? Well, I see a, a, a good principle. I see a good balance between authority, someone who's in a position of authority, and the one who's under that authority. A good balance. You know, those of us who are in ministry, I think it's a good thing for us to consider. You know, the Bible teaches that an elder is to take the oversight, not by constraint. Well, if I have to. <laughs> but he ought to do it willingly. Not, not as being a lord over God's heritage, but being an, an, uh, an example. This challenges me. You know, uh, in the ministry, I, I'm, I'm leading people, I'm leading by example, and I want to do it well. And I think a good test of that for me is those who look up to me and who follow me, what kind of a relationship do I have with them? You know, as a, as a man in the ministry, I can say this honestly, the African people that we serve, I'm telling you, brother, we love them. They're very dear unto us. And you'll see that in the video. You know, if you, wanna, if you want to win people, we've got to be loving. And we've got to have a good balance between authority and those that are following us. But consider that. Then the Bible says in verse 2, And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. So this, servant's, this uh, centurion servant was not in good health. He's sick. He's got COVID. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, but he is sick and he is ready to die. So he's near death. And because of the, the good... Uh, uh, relationship that this centurion had with his servant, he's, he's, he's moved by this, he's concerned about this. And in verse number three, it says, and when he heard of Jesus, he heard something of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible doesn't say what he heard, but we can assume, we can gather what he heard of Jesus because the Bible says when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him, beseeching Jesus, that he would come and heal his servant. And so this centurion, this uh, Roman soldier, he hears of this Jewish man called Jesus, and what he heard, it compelled him to go to the elders of the Jews and to send these elders to Jesus, that Jesus would come and heal his servant. What did he hear of Jesus Christ? Well, he heard a lot of things. I'm, listen, he heard that Jesus Christ was a man of compassion. He heard that Jesus Christ was a gentle man. He heard that Jesus Christ was a loving man. He heard that Jesus Christ had power with God. And you're going to see how much 
that affected this man's faith down later in the text because he said, don't come to my place, but speak the word only, <laughs> and my servant shall be healed. Now, the only one that I know of, that I read, that I read about in the Bible, who has power to, to do or not to do simply by the, by the power of his word is God. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. I'm beginning to see that this centurion, who do you think Jesus is to be able to do that? Just speak the word. And my servant shall be healed. Let me ask you something. Do you believe Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe he's God in human flesh? Do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe that in this man, Jesus Christ, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily? Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, you're not saved. Jesus said, if you believe not that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Jesus Christ is more than just a good teacher. He's more than a prophet. He was God in human flesh. Now, if you believe that, let me tell you why you believe that. You didn't come to that conclusion on your own. You didn't sort that out. You didn't figure that out. Jesus asked uh, Peter, whom do men say that I am? Well, some say thou art John the Baptist. By the way, why would they think Jesus was John the Baptist? Why is that the first person that came to their mind, came to his mind, these, these people? I think they must have been a lot alike. Don't you think? You know, when I read in the Gospels, they preached the same message, did they not? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John, John preached it. Jesus continued it. And to whom did Jesus go to be baptized? He went to John the Baptist, amen. Then he said, well, some say thou art Jeremiah. Now, why would people think that Jesus was Jeremiah? What do we know about Jeremiah? How is he referred to? Well, he's a prophet, but what stands out about Jeremiah? He's called what? That's right, the weeping prophet. Now, why would they think Jesus was Jeremiah? I think Jesus wept more times than it's recorded. Jesus was a compassionate man. And he was burdened over the condition of people that didn't have a Savior. Moved with compassion. Well, and then some said, thou art that prophet, and so on. But Jesus said to Peter, whom do ye say that I am? You know, that's really what matters, is it not? It doesn't matter what somebody else thinks about Jesus. It doesn't even matter what your parents think about Jesus. They may be fully persuaded in their own mind who Jesus Christ is. <coughs> Excuse me. 
They may be so fully convinced that they have given themselves, they've given their lives, the only one that we have, to be fully dedicated and committed to serving and following Jesus Christ, whom they've never seen with their naked eye. But it, this man Jesus has totally affected them, influenced them, caused them to live a certain way, caused them not to do certain things. They may be totally convinced of it. But that says nothing about you. What about you? Whom do ye say that Jesus Christ is? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Brother uh, Sabrina, would you do me a favor? I know Job has a stash back there. Is there something in the pulpit? Well, I saw he had one of those cough drops. Oh, there's water here. Maybe that'll help. Well, he's got one back. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, it's really dry here. <coughs> oh, this feels good. Thank you, brother. I'm, I may. Thank you. Wow. Now unto him. Look at this. Asking it. Press down. Overflowing. I just asked for one and he gave me three. Yeah. <laughs> My point is this, that this centurion heard of Jesus Christ. And in order for him to hear about him, people had to be talking. And what he heard persuaded him convinced him that this man Jesus had power to heal and by the power of his word. Are you saved today? Are you born again? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe who he said he is? Has he fully transformed your life? Has he converted you? Are you saved? Have you experienced forgiveness of sins? And if so, are you telling people about it? I could take you to a place where Jesus Christ was in a person's house, and the Bible says it was noised abroad that he was in the house. And when it was noised abroad, you know what happened? The Bible says there were people from every town of Judea and, and, and Galilee and so on. And the place was packed. And the ones who were inside the house were the doctors of the law sitting by. And everybody else was on the outside. But it was noised abroad that he was in the house. And when it was noised abroad, people came to hear Well, this man was convinced of who this person Jesus was. But notice, you know what he did? He went and he uh, mentioned it to the elders. Now, keep in mind that this man is a centurion. He understands chain of authority. And so what he did is he went to the elders, the elders, and said, would you please inquire of Jesus? 
In verse four, number four, when they came to Jesus, they besought him, these elders besought him instantly saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation and he hath built us a synagogue. Now, who are these people? They're elders. They're the elders of the Jewish people. That's who the centurion went to. As I said, I think he understands chain of authority being a centurion. And he said later in the text, I've got authority. I say to this one, do this. And he does it. Come. And he comes. Go. And he goes. And so he, he talks to the elders. But it's interesting. The elders of the people coming to Jesus and beseeching him, would you please do this? For this centurion, he loves our nation and on and on. Who are these elders? Well, let's take a look. Go to Matthew 15. Brother Demlo, what time do I need to be done? 45-ish, okay. Matthew 15. All right, look at verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. And so who are these elders? Well, the Bible says the scribes and the Pharisees came and in asking... They said, you're not following the tradition of the elders. They were elders, the Pharisees, the scribes. They were considered elders. You're not following our tradition. Your disciples are not following our tradition. And so here we see that they're coming to Jesus and they're criticizing Jesus. That's who these elders are. <laughs> Let's look at Matthew chapter 16. Verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So here we see the elders. Jesus is prophesying, I'm going to be killed. They're going to murder me. The elders. The elders of the Jews didn't like Jesus. Not at all. But in this case, if you go back to Luke chapter 7, here's a centurion, this Roman soldier. He goes to the elders and says, Would you please go to Jesus and beseech him that he would come and heal my servant? He's sick, he's ready to die. And so the elders go to Jesus and they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy, the centurion, he's worthy for whom he should do this, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now, wait a minute. These elders care nothing about Christ. They're the enemies of Jesus. But in this example, in this instance, why are they doing what they're doing at, at the, at the uh, request of the centurion? Because now there's something in it for them. We want, Jesus, we want you to do this for this centurion. He loves us. He's built us a synagogue. We get some good things from him. 
And so Jesus, you need to do this for him. He loves Jewish people, right? He's built us a synagogue. What do you think of that? And so now they're just using Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. But, but see, Jesus can, quote, benefit them in this instance. And so we're going to come and we're going to beseech Jesus. We're going to call upon the name of the Lord because of how he can benefit us. He benefits us in this example. And so now they're just using him. Let me say this to to us who are assembled here today. Jesus Christ is not a good luck charm. Jesus Christ is not somebody that you go to just to see what you can get from him. And if, you know, I'll come to Jesus, this man called Jesus, I'll I'll, I'll, uh, uh, be a Baptist, I'll be a member of a church, but only if there, there, there's, there's something, something that can benefit me. You know, it's not me surrendering and submitting to Jesus. It's not me turning my life over to Him. It's not me humbling myself and, 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 and uh, calling upon Him to be my Lord. It's not that. It's, I'll come to Him if He can benefit me with my goals and ambitions and agenda. And if I don't really find any, if there's really nothing really real or significant about how this man Jesus can really benefit me, then I'm I'm not really interested. But if there's something, if there's something good that I can, you know, gain from this Christian faith, well then okay. And I think there might be, there might be people here You're not saved yet. And the only reason, perhaps, that you're in church is maybe because your parents brought you here. Or you may be out of your, out of your parents' house, but because they raised you up in this, you're, you're still here. But you're kind of in your mind weighing it out. Is this Jesus really who I want and what I want? Is this Jesus really going to benefit me in my life? And and if I can find something that I can get from him, then okay, I'll maybe consider him. Listen, that's what these elders are doing. Do you think they're going to give their lives to Christ? No, Jesus said they're going to kill me. They're not interested in Jesus and surrendering to him and submitting to him and being saved and following him, but for a moment they could maybe benefit from him. Hmm. Oh, he's worthy. He's worthy for whom he should do this. Jesus, you need to do this because he's worthy. Do you know what this man has done, Jesus? He loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now, I will say, you know, one of the best things we can do if we love our nation 
one of the best things we can do is contribute and do our part to see churches being started. Amen. I, I agree with that. Amen. If you really love your nation, now listen, our only hope is the gospel in Jesus Christ, and we need churches started. So that is one of the good things you can do for your nation. But here these elders are trying to persuade Jesus. They're trying to convince him to do this for this centurion because of how it's going to benefit them, right? But they're trying to bribe Jesus. They're trying to convince Jesus. Oh, he's worthy. You know, it doesn't really matter what anybody else says about you or me to God. You know, Jesus doesn't need that anybody should testify of man, for he knows what's in man. He knew what was in the hearts of these elders, and he knew what was in the heart of the, of the centurion. He knew that. Jesus knows everything. But what did Jesus do? Then Jesus went with them. Now, he's not going there because of the elders, I can tell you that. He's going because he knows what's in the heart of the centurion. So Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy. Isn't that interesting? The elders... Oh, Lord, he's worthy. He's worthy. Listen, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of us or says of us. This man himself said to, 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 you know, to the Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Don't come to my roof. I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. And then he said, I didn't even feel worthy that I could come myself. I'm not worthy, Lord. You know what I see in this man? I see humility. This man, it didn't matter to the centurion what the accolades others were putting upon him. It didn't matter. He knew who he was. And he was being honest. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy. Don't come to my house. I don't even feel worthy to come to you. But speak, just speak a word. If you'll speak a word, my servant shall be healed. That's an amazing statement. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. We read that, and he commands this one to do this, and to go and to come, and so on. Lord, I'm not worthy, and I certainly don't want it seem as if I'm telling the Lord what to do. But I believe if you'll speak the word, my servant shall be healed. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him. Now he's going to use this man as an illustration, as an example. You know, I ask myself, would the Lord Jesus be able to use me as an example? And if he, if he did use me as an example, 
Brother, would he use me? Would, would, would it be a good example or a bad example? Is there something about my Christian life the Lord could draw attention to and say, you see this quality, this character trait, you see this about this man? You need to emulate that. You need to follow that. You need to imitate that. Amen. He turns to the people that followed him and said, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Isn't that what that is? An example of? Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. I'm just, I'm, I'm amazed at that centurion's faith. And where did it come from? It came because of what the centurion heard about Jesus Christ. You know, if you go to people, your neighbor, your coworker, if you tell them about this man called Jesus, if you're saved, and you tell people what he's done for you and how he's changed your life and about the peace and the joy that the Lord gives and the deliverance from sin, and you tell people about that, you know, for somebody who's not, who doesn't have that, but th- they're looking for it for themselves, By your testimony and by your example that they have been observing and you speak and you share about Jesus Christ and what he's done for you and your life backs up what you're saying, I'm telling you this, God will lead you to somebody who's looking for truth. And when they can see it and when they hear it, And what they're hearing is in agreement with what they're seeing. They'll be persuaded. They'll be convinced. And they can come to Jesus Christ. And they can put their faith in Christ just as this man did. I have not found so great faith. All right, the last thing is go back up to verse (coughs) 2. Excuse me. And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick. And look at the next four words. And ready to die. Now I know what is implied here. I think it means he's near death. He's on his deathbed. And I know that's what it means here, but let's just consider the thought. And ready ready to die. Are you ready? Are you ready to die? You ready? Uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to sincerely thank anybody (coughs) sorry anybody and everybody who prayed for me when I was attacked. I don't know if you remember that happening or not. But I still have photos in my phone 
if you want to see the gory pictures. Are you one who can see blood? You, you can see blood? That, really? Okay, you can, I'll show you some photos. Yeah. I mean, it's just like out of a horror movie. I'll show you the photos. If you got a strong stomach, really? Okay. I'm going to hold you to it, Maddie. One of the greatest blessings, one of the greatest blessings of that experience of being attacked with a machete. Oh, there's so much I could say about it, but as, as thank, thankfully I escaped, you know, God protected me. As I'm driving in my pickup with my arms sliced open and blood squirting out like a fountain, I thought, well, I could, what if I bleed to death? You know, I knew I only had a few moments to get somewhere for help because I was losing a lot of blood and my blood pressure would drop and I could pass out. And but as I'm driving, trying to, keep the, trying to stop the blood, uh, and I'm driving with, with my knee up against the steering wheel because I had to use this hand to attend to my arm. This arm I couldn't use at all. I'm having a conversation with the Lord. And I'm telling you what, it was such a blessing, brother. I was not afraid of death, thinking, what if I died? What if I bleed to death? You know, it was like this, brother. It was like a little, what, what they call a trailer of a movie. They're like the little preview. It's like God gave me a little preview of what it's going to be like when I do have to face death. I had such peace in my soul, which I really think is one of the reasons why I didn't panic, I didn't freak out, you know. I thought it through. I'm, I'm driving, I'm talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, if you, if you want to take me now, I'm ready. What peace I had, Jason. I'm ready. I'm ready. I mean, we can talk about how we're ready, but when you're faced with the possibility of it, I was really ready. I had peace. I had joy. And I'm talking to the Lord. Well, blood is just spewing out. And I said, Lord, if you want to take me now, I'm ready. Wow, what peace. But I said, Lord, I don't really want to die now. I don't want Donna to be a widow. And Elena had just become a teenager and she needs her daddy. So. And praise the Lord, he kept me alive. <laughs> but I want you to know, buddy, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I want to ask you, are you ready? Have you been born again? And does your life prove it? The Lord's coming back, and if you're not saved, you'll be left behind. Or if you should happen to die suddenly, you know, 
Most times when death comes to people, it doesn't come announced. We, we need to be ready. And if you're not, seek the Lord today. Today could be the day of your salvation. What do you think of that? What a blessing that would be. Well, thank you for your kind attention this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this book. We would be in outer darkness without a word from God. And thank you for preserving it so we can hold it in our hands and we can read it. And Father, my prayer today <clears throat> is for the saved here that we would be telling people about Jesus Christ. And Father, that you would be able to use us as an example to persuade others to come to the Lord. And Father, that we would have faith like this centurion did. It's an amazing thing. But it came from hearing. And hearing by the word of God and the testimony of others. And Father, I pray as your people that we would watch our tongues and what we speak. We can speak in the audience. Jesus said he didn't speak anything in secret. May that be convicting to us. And Father, for those who are not saved, they need to come to you humbly, honestly, sincerely. They can't bribe you. They can't just use you for what they can get. But Father, it's a matter of surrendering our lives. And I pray, Father, if there's somebody who's here who's not ready to die, today could be the day of their salvation. And that's what we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.